Welcome to another episode of the Zay Play Podcast. Um, yeah, you guys know what it is. This is a show about thoughts, ideas, and opinions. Um, hopefully used to encourage open discourse and op- open thinking. And yeah, episode 50. We're there. Two more weeks in the year. Y'all, let's go. Okay. Um, Got a lot of thoughts this episode. Definitely going to be a big thinking episode. Going to give personal updates, a little sports and a little music. And we'll be on our way. All right. Um, Hope the team's doing well. I'm doing okay over here. And uh, let's get right into it. All right. Let's jump into music. Let's make it real quick and easy. All right. Nicki Minaj, you know what she does. Pink Friday 2 came out. Best song on there is definitely going to be the J. Cole song, in my opinion. Um, I guess it's J. Cole and Nicki's actually rapping, so you know how that goes. That's what I like. Got some La Russell coming out. Oh, Young M.A. and Jack Harlow. Both not bad. Um, a couple of singles hitting us there. 38 Special. You know he's always coming with something. Um, any other albums? No, I'm not seeing any other albums. We've got Benny. Um, Benny and Stove God. Boldy James. Mark Battles. Um, Planet Asia, Black Soprano Family, got a single out there, EP by A-Rap Music, yeah, and that's about it from what I can see, oh, yep, then, nope, that's it, so yeah, um, music's in a weird state right now. You got some Cardi B offset drama that people are saying is going, is what's throwing off her album release, which is, well, they're saying that Cardi B and offset have a fake breakup to throw off Nicki Minaj's album release because Nicki always does something when Cardi puts out something. So they seeing this as get back, but I don't think it's that. Um, Yeah, no big major changes. I mean, rounding out the end of the year, Drake put out his stuff, fourth quarter's basically about to be over so yeah just gonna do it for music nothing nothing crazy nothing crazy this week okay i wanted to talk about the importance of two okay so one this is kind of more in a philosophical sense right one means single and it it largely means um one usually isn't enough right it's not enough proof it's not um it's one is, one is is a unique case cuz zero means none right one means it's unique and two means it's repeatable and possible right um one 
shows that it's possible, but it doesn't really, I don't know, there's like a, I don't know how to put it, it doesn't really, it's it's not definitive, right? So the, the way I like to think about this is like a memory question, right? Let's say there's two people, uh, an event happens, they're both there, but only one remembers, and they talk about it with the other person, and they don't remember it, like no recollection at all. The person who remembers, they're more likely to second guess um, their memory than the person who doesn't remember. Well, maybe that's not true. It could depend on personality. But the key thing is there, does it change that event going forward? So the event could have happened a certain way, but if it's remembered um, only by one person, a certain um, that's a bad way to put it, right? So does the memory of something, does how we remember something affect how it exists in the past? It does. It doesn't affect how it happened in that moment, but how we remember it, our perception of it um, does affect it, how it exists in the past because the past is basically all of our perception and it's also combined with reality but the way we see the past is through perception so if only one person remembers it instead of two the whole um existence of that part of the past is altered and changed it's a it's a deeper theory that is a little loose but is ultimately pretty interesting. Question of the week. So uh, last week, uh, the question was about fear and how if there is a way to somewhat calculate or gauge fear. And I kind of touched on what I think. And ultimately, I kind of came to this conclusion, right? That fear is like you can gauge fear by how much control you had of the situation, your the intended how much you wanted the intended outcome, and how much um you knew uh about the situation or what you were trying to do. And so I think those three elements kind of intertwined with other variables such as time and pressure and um just other things kind of would be able to calculate fear. But I think um, the those would be the variables, right? Time would be a constant. And then there would probably be some other constants. But that's kind of my thought about it is like fear is kind of a makeup. Like the things you can control, you don't fear, right? The things you know everything about, um you can fear them, but you only fear them due to circumstance. And then the intent, like how much you wanted something to happen, um, I think that plays like the out. How much you you want an outcome, I think, matters too, and uh, how much fear you actually have of what the actual outcome is. So that's kind of the question of the week there, <clears throat> um, and that's my answer. And then question of the week this week is going to be, let me see here. Okay, I'm going to 
this is something that I thought of recently, and it is the idea that evil. So when you look at evil, right? All right, well, let's look at good things first, right? Good um, can be very simple. Like you saved his life. You gave that person an extra surplus. Like um, good uh, can be very simple. Good can also be very complicated. Um, I think like engineering, um, there's there's other examples. Um, the... There, there's other examples I can't really think of, but or like um, sports to a degree, and the level of complexity, or even uh, chess. I think as complexity increases, um, the difficulty for evil to arise is higher because there's so many things that are set in place. Um, to me, it seems like evil is easier to produce on simple grounds and is recognized. Um, in that fashion too, simply like, oh, you killed him. That's evil. Or you didn't kill him. It's not evil. Saving life, simple, preserve life, um, uh, or destroy all life evil. You know what I mean? So I, I may be wrong about this, but it just seems like the feeling is, is that complicated evils are essentially rare and, I think it's it, it's much more unlikely because I think the longer you spend on something slash the more critically you look at it, the harder it is to commit evil. So that's just my kind of question of the week. I don't know how you guys feel about that. Do you think evil arises in the same? I mean, you could think about it in pacing, right? Does evil arise in the same pace in simple situations that it does in complicated situations? Or it could be like vice versa, right? The more complicated the situation, the harder it is for you to decipher good and evil. Therefore, the easier evil arises, but it probably arises much slower than simply. So pace and ease may be contrasted here. That may be a thing, but let me know what you guys think. Definitely we'll talk about it next week. All right. Um, one of the concepts I wanted to talk about today was uh, knowledge. And um, a thought I had was no matter the current situation, you will never have enough knowledge to um, logically make the best move. And the more complex the situation, the the more um, instances and more variables that you don't know um, in order to make that conclusion. So in most current and um, present situations, you have to assume um, certain pieces of knowledge to act and how good you are at assuming in that moment um is what will determine a lot of like your social status and um, your ability to progress in life. So it's kind of like every checkers move, um, you don't like you don't get to see the whole board, okay? But every move you make in checkers reveals more space on the chessboard. 
You see what I'm saying? The short-term plays will give you the longer-term plays, but you'll never... And then you can use the long-term plays. Like, you can counterintuitively reconstruct the long-term plays. So whenever you... Um, it's this way, like, so... Let's say you make short-term play, short-term play, short-term play, long-term play. Um, and short-term play, short-term play, short-term play, and then a long-term play works out, right? Or gets set up successfully. Then you might repeat similar short-term plays to get there. Um, just reverse engineering. But that's the thing. So there are some people, the people that when they're young are naturally good at predicting um, the information that they don't know or acting correctly to the information that they don't know, um, rise high in elevative status. And the people who don't tend to struggle. Now, as a second component of this is how well you learn, right? So you could be really bad at it, but if you're really good at learning... If you play enough chess, if you make enough checkers moves, you'll get really good at chess and checkers. Um, the people who are good initially at checkers usually don't end up being very good at chess in the long run. So you do kind of want to be a learner, but the best thing to do is to be a prodigy and to be good at both and um, to be able to learn really well. But I just wanted to kind of talk about that kind of concept and uh, detail it out for you guys. In keeping on that note of knowledge, um, sometimes admitting, this kind of goes along with, um, what is it? This kind of goes along with negotiation, like never admit the obvious. Um, when you admit defeat, it should always be strategical, right? If the defeat is going to Make your opponent think that they have an unfair advantage and trick them into doing something stupid. Admit it. If it's going to boost their morale and give them closer to destroying you, make them know you were defeated. Don't tell them. Um, I think something that people are really bad at and humans are really bad at in general is um, exchange of information and I think the better you are at exchanging information and the better you are at intaking information, analyzing information, um, the better in life you'll do. So I think people really do just kind of suck at um, breaking down signs or like even just taking them in or noticing them. And then a lot of the times they're not good at learning situations that can be repeatable. And that's why like a lot of people relate life to chess because you can learn openings. You can learn ways to get into the game. And it's also like in chess, you may be completely lost, but you don't want to admit that because your opponent still needs to see it and prove it to win. So yeah, I wanted to tie that in there as well. All right, another two quick things. One, quirks and twists. So something that I find very interesting about people and unique is that people are quirky and they um, might do things that 
or unique to them or uniquely learned behaviors that they grew comfortable with over time, um, not something a general population would do or people would do on average. Now, I also would like to say people have twists to them. And what I mean by that is I think everyone has something that is generally seen as socially immoral or taboo that they somewhat find enjoyment in or are curious or want to know more about. Um, And those are what I would call twists. Now, these curiosities and thoughts and interests might not ever manifest into actions, but they're there. And um, I like to call those twists. Most like um, if you want to make a sexual reference, um, I guess you would call like someone who enjoys something outside of a sexual norm would be a fetish. So a twist would be something that would be not sexual that would be enjoyed or thought about that is generally more outside of the norm. You know what I mean? So it could be like um, someone finds gruesome accidents to be funny. You know what I mean? It They might not like openly portray it, but they think so. Um, someone may think that... Um, like kleptos, that would, might be one uh, example of a twist. Um, and I guess it's not really limited to things that are taboo. It are things that are normally not seen. Like it could be disgusting things too. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to kind of introduce that term and uh, discuss um, that kind of differentiation that I had. Um, but it brings me into another topic. Not directly, it's a little, it may seem like a jump, but um, I was thinking about this idea of power in a relationship, right? The person generally, like there's a lot of variables that go into power, but one of the main ones is who cares more, right? To have a level of dominance and to assert it and to, um, let's just say like emit it or to have that level of energy you have to have a lack of degree of care. It just, um, and that's because that is the relationship of, well, maybe that's not because we don't know. Um, But it seems you have to be willing to be cruel to a degree to assert your dominance over something. Um, and it's hard to be cruel to things you care about. So there's this natural inflection, um, that why would I do something to harm something I care that? Why would I do something cruel to something I care about? And you're less likely to do it with more things you care about, unless you develop a sort of masochistic relationship with pain, right? Unless you start to see pain as a potential good thing, um, you have to warp that perspective in your mind. Um, to a degree. So I think those are the two ways to go about it, right? You either can have, you either have to have a level of apathy or you have to have a level of masochism um, to like assert dominance over something. And then the worst, I would say out of those, out, 
like the wor- something that's worse than those three is someone who is naturally manipulative, right? You would say that they would probably incur on the first two, but in the first situation, you may not know that, right? It could be ignorance. Like you may not know how much you care because of how close you are around to something. So it could be ignorance. Um, manipulation would be non-ignorant and you would be doing intentionally trying to um, distort their feelings um, and get them into a position where eventually, I don't know, because I feel like once you get, like, at, as you win, you start to feel a level of dominance, so you start to assert that to a degree. So, yes, it's manipulative, but it's also somewhat natural. Um, so, yeah, strange concept, um, but I think to have control of or to be in power of something that has its own free will. You have to have a you have to be willing to assert a degree of cruelty and the origin of that could come from not caring or it could come from like a level of a masochism might be the a bad word for it, but that is the idea that to me some pain is good. So that's what I'm trying to say. Like you have to develop that kind of um, understanding or third, you're completely being manipulative. So yeah, interesting kind of concept there as well. Another theory, um, I was thinking about, um, is this idea that cowards are afraid of the light. Now we have to look at Let's kind of define coward, light, and dark in this situation, right? So coward to me seems to be someone who um, avoids adversity. Um, They give in, um, always take the easy way out, want to be protected, um, lack the ability to defend and fight for themselves. And when I think about the light, I think about it public society. Um, just um, the general population. And when I think about the dark, I think about privacy. I do think, I think this idea that cowards love to be in the dark or to hide is kind of a red herring. I think a lot of cowards bathe in the light and they use the light to um like they hide in plain sight really um i think this idea that cowards hide in the dark is a lot harder to portray because we don't know what's in the dark right um the dark is there's a level of unknownness there's a level of um fear uh a level of unprotectedness um so i think cowards you know they exist everywhere um, but I think they this this idea that they hate to be in the light is not true. They hate they maybe they hate to be seen, and that's not that might not even be true in that sense. They hate to be known about, right? Cowards hate that you know that they're a coward. Um, but they don't. I don't think cowards are afraid of you seeing them, or they're afraid of you. Um, or like, what is it? Are like being in the light. You know what I mean? I think a lot of the cowards, when people say, like, 
prefer to be in the dark. Most, I don't think a lot of cowards do because they're constantly running. Stress. You can be hunted in the dark. You know what I'm saying? Can't really be done um, in the light. They're protected by society to a degree. So, yeah, just the concept I was thinking about as well. Um, it's that probably not true to an extent, but definitely kind of maybe we're too biased in the situation. Okay. This is going to relate to last week's episode. Now, I went out on a limb last week and spoke about a belief and a way of thinking that um, some people might be ajar to. But like I said, this is open discussion. And um, the lining of this uh, idea, I'll, I'll trace it back directly, you'll see, um, comes from this idea of chance. Okay, this is the core of the idea. Now, chance and risks are an, uh, an important part of what makes us human. Um, establishing patterns, making decisions every day, free will, all of these incorpor- incorporate chance and risk. Now, I think something that is portrayed in a lot of movies and something that is really easy for a lot of people to understand is this idea that humans have this incredible ability to defy odds um, and to take insane risks and have them work out. Um, this can be um, this is seen in the instance of like, look at the Pokemon movie of two thousand, like the original Pokemon movie. Ash is like, give us a chance. We're humans. We have the ability to not only change ourselves, but to change others and to understand um, complex concepts. So this idea that humans, um, this this chance, this idea that we're unpredictable, um, that goodness can come out of us for no reason, um, spontaneously be birthed. Um, and cannot be 100% fully predicted is kind of a key part to what makes us human. And I think it's something that we should preserve and put more respect into. Um, So the idea that humans can be spontaneously good also coincides with the idea that they can be spontaneously bad. And um, I wouldn't say that exactly evens out, but one can be said to the other because um, I'm talking about the just general idea of risk and chance, right? So a lot of people justify the existence of humans and the existence for people to live on the chance that they change. Um, now, change and chance are two different things, right? Um, but the chance to change is something we can talk about. Um and whether people believe it or not can be very crucial to your own survival, okay? Now, jumping back, look at this idea of love. The idea that love um, is something that's wonderfully human um, and it's something we take a chance and a risk at doing. Now, this is the same, this lines in with the chance of like why we don't kill people um, or why I don't agree with the death penalty 100% is because the chance that someone being innocent and um, being convicted and dying 
is incredibly worse than someone who did the crime getting to live. And that is how I feel about love. If the chance for love, snuffing out true love is one of the worst things you could commit because it's anti-human, right? It's the anti, it's the idea that um, humans can't activate this unpredictable variable and come out on top against all odds. Um, and as a species, we've done that many, many times. So I just wanted to kind of talk about that essence of humanity and chance and risk. And this is why I, ha- I would have this conversation with my daughter is because we need to understand, is this a possible chance of true love? We don't know. It's very low, but to snuff it out and say that it's 0% and to not warrant a conversation, at least with my daughter, unacceptable. So I uh, wanted to touch on that again and just kind of sink that one in. Um, but yeah, yeah. Uh, I've also like um, something that's kind of been, I guess I'll talk, I'll talk about it um, here coming up. All right, um, for this last little bit, let me uh, knock sports out real quick. Lakers won the in-game tournament. Um, yeah, uh, not sure what's going on there. Um, I don't know how LeBron did it, but he did it. I don't know why Tyrese Halliburton and the Pacers were in the finals. Um, somehow they got past the Bucks and the Celtics. Makes no sense to me. And Philly. So, yeah, it's a little bit of a surprise there, but I guess Pacers will be getting good here pretty soon. Um, But, yeah, LeBron did his thing. Not a joke, but I doubt they'll be able to echo that performance at the end of the year. So that's where I stand on that. Um, College football gate. um, I had a friend recommend a better solution. They should have just added two teams. Should have just added Georgia uh, and FSU and made them play each other. Super easy. Um, uh, give them a chance. Thirteen and zero, and twelve and one. You know what I mean. So, yeah, weird. College football, lots of money there though. Lots of decisions, and that's how that's how they do things. So, it is what it is. But yeah, let, 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 let's just go ahead. You know, sports is getting. Sports is not going to really be getting good until playoffs. That's what I think. But I am watching chess, and um, I just don't – I'm not good enough at chess to be criticizing or judging, but it is interesting to watch. So there's that. Um, but, yeah, let's, that's, uh, that's going to round sports out. Uh, forgot about the Otani situation, $700 million. Wow, that's crazy. Lots of money. Um, he's deferring a lot of the money. He wants to make a good team. Humble guy. He's trying to be great. Go him. Not a huge baseball guy. Okay. Moving on to some culture things. We have more Alex Cooper analysis. Um, I'm very impressed by our empire. Um, And... To expand on this, the current pop culture is in somewhat of a dormant kind of state. Um, Black culture seems to be at a different pace, uh, very moving pretty quickly and pretty rapidly. But 
the general pop culture is moving a little bit slower. Taylor Swift, um, Alex Cooper, Joe Rogan, these kind of things, right? These kind of people who push this sort of more general pulse, this pop pulse, uh, in kind of this relationship swing. I think we're going to see a very, 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 very toxic summer. I think this is going to be the summer that really feels like a non-COVID summer. Um, I think people were kind of still tentative to come outside uh, this time and uh, just didn't feel as much like the summer. We're getting used to the way things are now. But I think this summer coming up is going to be pretty interesting, especially since it's an election year. Um, so yeah, there's that. And a lot of my, something I noticed like, uh, my age right now. Okay. A lot of guys are going through testing times. Okay. In their relationship. And, uh, I can kind of see why, and I can kind of see not why, but, um, a popular streamer recently, and this is a topic that I'm interested in because I do, this idea, modern monogamy is this idea that relationships are not meant to last forever. Um, some people you're supposed to meet for a time, enjoy them for that time and let them go because they're right for the season. Um, and you just continue your life with this idea that some people come in, people can come in and out of your life and be a good experience and it can be just that. Okay. Um, modern monogamy is that, that kind of idea. And the oh dude i hate when i lose my spot in thinking we were on the topic of destiny okay and in the idea of open marriage um this kind of would be an extended version of modern monogamy right it's the idea that like are applying the modern monogamy idea to sexual partners and not romantic partners um, that's kind of how I see an open relationship, right? Like I'm going to romantically be with this person long-term, just them. This is what I want to do. But sexually, um, I'm going to have multiple partners for how I feel at certain times in my life. I think this sort of idea is going to become more prevalent and is what was tried in an open marriage. But I think biologically and, and somewhat psychology, humans are not ready or have not found a frame into which prop to properly sort of sort this power dynamic and relationship out. Um, I, I, I feel like an open marriage. I'll put it this way, right? Every marriage is t- Technically open. It's just not getting caught, right? Um, so, like, placing a large investment on it, um, it just doesn't seem like a smart idea, right? The actual sexual explicity of it. It, it makes more sense to place it on something like the honesty. Now... The reason why this is tough is because we're human and feelings can cloud logic and they can often replace 
like the like your biological can often replace your logical and sentimental when it in importance and I feel like something that I have to incorporate into my open relationship theory is time. Current humans and current people, after a certain amount of time, everybody's time is probably different, but they would not, the idea of an open relationship just won't work forever. To me, it seems like to be a temporary thing um, either at the beginning or at the end of a relationship, right? Um, I don't know if it's an effective tool to problem solve. And I have not seen a very successful version of it, even though it's likely to exist. It's It's just the power dynamics of the relationship. It's hard to figure out what would work and it would definitely be hard to find two people complex enough to understand them and <clears throat> for also all the factors of attraction to be there as well so yeah just a concept i'm thinking about most likely wrong and most likely useless but there you go oh and to slightly add on to that um I want to see how these pop relationships turn out and the effect it has on the culture and pushing it forward because I think um, relationships rising and crashing drives a lot of pop culture. Um, But anyway, somewhat of a personal update. Um, Goals-wise, I'm I'm doing okay, about the same as last week. Um, But I did want to talk about this idea of uh, not being good enough right now. Um, I think improvement happens and is generated after you either desire, like you either desire to, no, no, it it always comes with like a recognition of where you are, a wanting, a desire to not be there, and then um, working the knowledge of how to get out of there and then the work to put to get there, right? It's like a four, kind of like a four-step process. Um, You can either, so, yeah, it's always, you have to recognize first, right? So you have to understand where you're at right now is not good enough. Without recognition, you're never going to get to the other steps, so that when I say I'm not good enough right now, it is I should always follow up with I will become good enough because that is the point of the recognition. The point of the recognition is to recognize so that um, you can see if you have the desire and then you can learn and then act. That's the goal. You know what I mean? So it starts with recognition, though. And that's that's kind of what when you say when you look and you say I'm not good enough, um, what what that really means is I will become. Um, and I think that's a better way to say it. You know what I'm saying? I will become. And you don't even have to put an end on that. You know, um, just I will become. 
that that idea, that space is that you, you're going to get to a different space than where you are now. I will become, you know what I mean? So, yeah, this just kind of a kind of a mantra I wanted to talk to on there and kind of where I'm heading in in the headspace area, which I found a good word. Metacognition, the ability to think about our own mental process. So when I'm mindscaping, that is sort of what I'm doing is I'm doing a metacognitive analysis of my own brain and um, my own processes and how I've been doing. It's like a it's like a computer running its own systems check. You know what I mean? Just making sure everything's running nice, running good. Um, double checking myself. Uh, checking my biases and things like that and um, trying to forage uh, a good plan, you know, create a new good operating system. And in doing so, um, I asked myself this question because something I failed at was two things. Two things I struggle with is uh, when it comes to gathering information, I'm good at, but when it comes to I'm decent at, I could always improve, right? And then distributing information is what I tend to be much worse at. And um, specifically in the limiting of information. And a rule I have kind of decided to help with that is a lot of what information is, giving out information isn't a bad thing unless it gets to the wrong people. So identifying the wrong people is is one way um, identifying the wrong people and not telling them things is one way to avoid it. Um, and then the, it's, it's a direct way. And then there are other indirect ways you can do it as well, like not produce it, um, or send it specifically around them. But this is, uh, this is the method that I am going to go with here. So, hold on a second, guys. Let me get to my analysis. So, yeah. So, 30, I kind of see it like this. If I can identify the bad people, right, um, then I can kind of just not give... I can exclude them, like just filter them, and I can like, um, like just not put the turn the faucet on. So identifying is is the method I want to go with, okay? And to do that, I thought, okay, how long is enough time to get to know someone, right? And nine, there's been studies on this, right? It takes about ninety hours for someone to feel like you're good friends. So to get to know someone. I chopped that into about a third, 30 hours. So that's a little over 24 hours, um, which is a whole day, which is three times eight. So but a little more than three times, like 3.6 times or like 3.8 times you meet someone um, like and that would be or like three, three point days, essentially. Right. Um, eight hours, you would say, right? Like eight hour chunks or like split that up. Either way you want to do it. I think 30 hours is enough to get to know someone, right? So 
I wouldn't disclose general information until about the fifth or sixth meeting with this person, right? Then you'll have a good picture of kind of, okay, their temperament, how they operate, and kind of what they move on. So that's where I would go. That's something I've been learning and picking up on and just kind of um, making my own. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm doing, doing good. This week's been pretty chill. Looking forward to Christmas, but, um, just mentally a little wonky, a little wonky, just not a hundred percent. Um, what else do we have on the list here? Oh, coming up on a year, man, uh, 52 weeks, almost there. Two more episodes might do something special for the last one. Um, should be a story time, right? I owe you guys a good story. So it, maybe I will make a special story episode and we will dig into a bag of not so good goodies, I guess. Some of them are not great stories, but they are parts of my history, You, I would say, right? So... We may or may not do that coming up um, for the 50th, 52nd episode, but I did want to say like, hey guys, these are all just thoughts, ideas, and I would like for you to also understand some of these may be fake. Some of these may be to pull in views. Some of these may be to um, change my narrative. So just always keep that in mind, but it's meant to be entertaining. It's an open discussion. I appreciate the team always for tuning in and checking stuff out. Um, but keep your eyes peeled for the Patreon. Uh, if you want to support me monetarily, that's kind of one of the best ways to do it. Um, working on this kind of uh, working on this team critically social and getting things going there. So that pod's going to be coming up. But um, you guys know how I do. We're going to aim it, not tame it. And we're going to get 1% better each time. So, you know, thank you guys. Thank you, team, for tuning in. I hope you guys have a great week. And uh, happy holidays, and let's keep it going.